Welcome to the Christchurch Conway podcast. We hope you find this podcast to be a resource that helps you grow in your faith through the study of scripture and theology. I invite you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to look this morning at 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 8 through 11. Let's give our attention once again to the reading of God's holy and inspired and authoritative word. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope, that He will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Most gracious Father, I ask that You would strengthen me this morning by Your Spirit to preach clearly the good news that we hear in this passage. I pray that You would strengthen us all by Your Spirit to hear and believe what is said in this passage. That the one who is in us is greater than the one who is in the world. We ask this in Christ's most precious name. Amen. Well, the thing that Paul wants his readers, the Corinthians, to understand is that what we talked about last week, all this affliction and comfort to comfort others and and all of that, that that's not just theory. It would be easy to kind of hear that and be like, yeah, but you're an apostle and, you know, like, it's easy for you to say that. But Paul's life wasn't any more together than any of the rest of ours. He he struggled too. He he struggled with all kinds of things. And and what he wants the, the Corinthians to understand is that he faced real life death situations in this world that he had to learn to process in the light of the gospel. So everything that he's saying, it's not just this kind of theoretical theology. It's it's gut level, street level, here's how it works, theology. And so he wants them to know that. So, So I don't want you to be unaware of the affliction that we experienced in Asia. Now, we don't know exactly what it was, exactly what the affliction was that Paul experienced and, and his compatriots experienced in Asia. We have no idea. Well, we, we can read in Ephesians, or I'm sorry, in Acts 19 about his time in Ephesus and some, some craziness that went down there. Because of their preaching, all of these people gave their life to Christ and, and they burned their books and all of this kind of stuff. And there was this dude named Demetrius who was a silversmith and he, his livelihood was threatened because, his, frankly, him and, and his buddies had all gotten really rich making, uh, making little statues and, and idols out of silver to worship uh, at the temple of Artemis. And he saw his living going away. And so he got everybody together and and gathered them up. And we're like, hey, we've got to do something about these Christians or or we're done. And so there was a huge riot in Ephesus. And and a couple of Paul's friends, Gaius and and Aristarchus, kind of got drugged into the the Colosseum. They got drugged into this public area 
where, where they were about to be literally killed. And Paul, like being the, the you know, good brother, he wanted to go save them and go there and speak and, and do everything, but people wouldn't let him. They're like, no, 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 that's a bad plan. You're going to die if you do that. And so they wouldn't let him go and, and be there in their suffering. Perhaps that was the situation that Paul has in mind when he talks about the affliction that they faced in Asia. It could have been any number of things. We know Paul's life as, a, as, a, and as an apostle was not rosy at all. He gets into that later in, in this letter. That he was beaten and left for dead and shipwrecked and, and all of these different things. And he talks about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 as well. And it, and it really doesn't matter. In some ways, I'm glad that, that he doesn't tell us exactly what it is. And here's why. If he told us exactly what he had in mind... Whenever he said we, we faced persecution or affliction, hardship, suffering, if he said this is exactly what it was, then here's what we would do. We would find no comfort in this passage. Why? Because we would look at that situation and we would say, oh, well, my situation is a little bit different than that. And Paul was talking about that specific situation. And so I, for one, am grateful that he leaves it vague and that we can't nail it down. Because I can't tell you dogmatically, oh, this is exactly what he was talking about. And so here's what that makes it easier for me and I think for you to do. It makes it easier for us to hear the theological point that he makes about who God is and say, oh, he'll deliver me also then. Even if I can't perfectly match my situation, I can have the same confidence. And so I want us to hear what was this affliction. Because we don't know exactly what it was, but we know how Paul felt it. We know how Paul experienced it. We know how him and his crew processed it in verses 8b and 9a. The end of verse 8, the beginning of verse 9. This is what he says. We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. That's rough. Most of us grew up with this idea, and there's been all kinds of articles written over the last, you know, 10 years or so, at least that's when I've seen them, uh, because we like to make these kind of profound points. Preachers, we, we're prideful and we like to do that kind of stuff. But we grew up with this idea that, like, God won't give you more than you can handle. And we like to make the point, like, oh, well, that's not true. And it's, it, here's the thing. It's not true. The Bible doesn't say he won't give us more. He says that he won't let us be tempted beyond what we can handle and, and that he'll show us the way out. But look, Paul's like, we could do nothing about this. We were utterly burdened beyond our strength. There was, whatever it was that Paul and his men were facing, there was nothing that they could do about it. We just read the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. There was nothing that they could do to keep themselves from being burned if they were faithful. Like, you, you can't, like, you just can't, we're not capable of going into a fireplace and not being burned. Like, physics or chemistry or something takes over and we burn. There was nothing they could do. You, you look at Jonah. There was nothing he could do to keep himself alive when he gets thrown overboard and swallowed by the great fish. 
You look at Daniel thrown into the lion's den. There was nothing that he could do to keep himself alive. And we could go on and on and on in the Bible. But Paul's reminding us that, that even when that's the situation, all hope is not lost. But, but here, n- notice that, that it wasn't just for Paul. It wasn't just like, oh my word, there's more of them than, they are of, than there are of us. They're going to win this fight. No, li- listen to the, the, the emotional language that he uses to describe this. We despaired of life itself. <laughs> In other words, what Paul is saying is, it got real dark for us. We couldn't do anything about it, and we were freaking out. Now, if you're like me, it's really good for you to hear Paul say that. Because I have this completely devilish lie in my head that really spiritual people, real spiritual giants, the the real faithful people, the people that get it, they don't find themselves in this position. They don't find themselves in a hard position and freak out. They're just like these annoying Stoics that are just like walking, you know, just whatever. Hell or high water, God said he will deliver us. I'm unaffected. Paul wasn't that way. And that's comforting to me. Because I'm not even kind of that way. Despaired of life itself. They felt in themselves, and, and when you read this in the Greek, and I'm only making this nerdy, annoying point because I want you to see, when you read it in the Greek, there's like all of these reflexive pronouns stacked on top of each other when he says this next part, and here's why I think that's important. I don't think, some commentators do, I don't think what Paul is saying is that they were actually sentenced to death. What he's saying is that they felt in themselves that level of stress, that level of tension, that level of fear, that level of despair. That's what they felt like. In us, our innards, our guts had the sentence of death in them. I have a feeling maybe you've not been thrown into a fiery furnace. Maybe that's never even been threatened against you. Maybe you've not been beaten for your faith. Maybe that's not been threatened against you. Maybe a lion's den hasn't been threatened against you. But I have a feeling you know this spiritual despair. From something that that, that may be an everyday just reality of life. We know. We know this. We know those times where we're like, I I don't see a way out. I I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I'm trying to do everything I can, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I'm done. And the despair sets in, and the lies start flowing, and the condemnation from, from the, the devil start coming, and, and, and we don't know what to do, and there's nothing that we can do about it ourselves. Now, some of you have done missions work. Some of you have been in, in hard situations where, where you did face the physical threat, and, and you felt it for that. I think this passage has something for all of us, no matter why we have found ourselves in this situation. 
Because remember, he's writing to the Corinthians. Not because they were facing Christian persecution, but because within the church, it was just turmoil. And they needed to be comforted. And so then in the second half of verse 9, he gives us the purpose for this. But that was, that refers back to being utterly burdened beyond our strength, despairing of life itself, feeling that we had received in ourselves the sentence of death. That was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. There is purpose in our affliction. There is purpose in in our suffering. And this isn't God being mean. This is God in His grace bringing us to the point of living the way we were created to live, utterly dependent on Him for everything, for life itself, for breath, for finances, for everything, for health for our marriages, for our sanity, everything utterly dependent on Him. Because what do we do when we find ourselves in these situations? What do we do? What's the first thing that every one of us do? What do I need to do to fix it? And look, I get it. Sometimes there are steps we need to take to get out of a situation or to learn how to deal with it. I'm not saying you just sit there and like, "Mm," and like, wait for God. No, there are steps you need to take. And you take those steps, trusting, relying on, leaning on, clinging to God. Not yourself. See, what Paul is unpacking for us here is what Jesus said that we read earlier. Come to me, all who are heavy laden, all who labor, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's where God is pleading with us to live. Utterly dependent on Him for everything. This is the whole metaphor of the vine and the branches. I am the vine, you are the branches. The branches can't live apart from being connected to the vine. That's why he says in that story, apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. See, God's not being mean and cranky here and and self-centered and and, and things like that. Like we would be if we were doing this to somebody, like like treating them in a way that they had to rely on us. for. No, he's not being abusive here. What he's doing is he's understanding that he and nothing else that we can find, he and he alone is the source of life, not just spiritually. He spoke and everything came into being. He's the one who promises in in the covenant with Noah that seed time and harvest will continue until the end. He's the one who said, I won't make the the, the, the rains fall in such a way that the earth floods. He in everything, he is the source of life, period. 
And what he's telling us here, what Paul is telling us, is that what God was doing to him in this suffering was bringing him to a place where he could recognize that, where he could recognize, I don't live by my own strength. I don't live by my own plans. I don't live by my own figuring it out. I don't live by my own getting it right. To make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. See, what was God doing in the exile? This. This is what he was doing. He he was teaching the Israelites, rely on me. What was he doing in the Exodus? This. What was he doing in the story of David and Goliath? You knew it was coming. This. What was he doing with Daniel in the lion's den? What was he doing with Jonah in the well? What was he doing with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? What was he doing in all of those situations that we read about in the Bible? What was he doing with Elijah? What was he doing with Elisha? What was he doing with with, with his people constantly? Come to me! Why? Because he wants to give us life. He wants to give us life. But what are we constantly doing? We're rushing around to a thousand other things, relying on ourselves to get it right because we're scared to death to admit that we can't. And so we try again and we try again and we try again. And Paul is saying, and and by the way, He's talking here, and I love this as someone who's been in ministry for a little while and and, and feels guilty about still having to learn so much about having to be a pastor because I've not done it great. I love that Paul is talking here about his third missionary journey. This wasn't day one. This wasn't the Damascus Road. Then this bad thing happened so I would learn to rely on God. No, no, no. This was the Damascus Road and then the 14 years or however long you think it was that he was like off in his own little private seminary and then the first missionary journey and then the second missionary journey and then the third missionary journey, some stuff went down and Paul says it was so I would learn to rely on God. So here's why I like that. If you're like me, That gives you a little bit of comfort. Not that we take comfort in other people's sin, but it gives you comfort in remembering like, oh, the Christian life isn't. I become a Christian and then I somehow get it right from there on. No. Sanctification is a process. It's ongoing. It's a continual work of the Spirit by His grace in us. And the Bible tells us, he who began this good work will be faithful to bring it to completion at the day of Jesus. That we might rely on God who raises the dead. And then he tells us some stuff about this God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such deadly peril. Past tense. It happened. Whatever the situation was that Paul and his crew found themselves in, God delivered them. 
And, and I mean, this story, as you know, if you know Paul's life, it could be told about any number of situations in or outside of Asia. God delivered him over and over and over. And as we've said, this isn't like some one-off story. All kinds of, when you read the book of Acts, they were constantly in jail. They were constantly threatened. Oh, like, repeatedly. Jesus himself, when you look at his life, they were constantly hunting him down, trying to kill him. And then he would, like, slip away and they would lose him. Why? Because it wasn't his time yet. Because God was delivering him from deadly peril. You go back through the Old Testament, it's just like one story of this after another. In fact, it's, it's so much the thing that happens that, that Barnett, I forgot his first name, he's a commentator, an incredible commentator, he said this, raising the dead is no abstract attribute, but what God typically does. See, here's the problem that we have. We read these stories and we're like, oh man, God really showed up and showed out in that moment. Can you imagine being in that? And, and we, 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 can you imagine being in that situation? Can you imagine David? Can you imagine the faith that it took? Can you imagine? And, and what are we doing there? We, we, we make it all about like, oh, they just are really these strong people. And, and so God worked in them in this hard situation. What we're doing there is we're saying, no, this isn't typically what God does. What Barnett reminds us is, no, 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 no. The reason this story can be told over and over and over is because this is typically what he does. He does raise the dead. It wasn't just a one-off parlor trick that Lazarus got up and walked. That's who God is. He is the author of life. And no one can outflake him. Earlier we sang, I mean, I could quote every, every song that we sang, but, but earlier, and I'm not going to be able to find it quickly, so I'll move on. Earlier we sang uh, that, that great Martin Luther hymn, a mighty fortress is our God. Did we in our own strength confide, our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side. The man of God's own choosing. Just ask who that may be, Christ Jesus, it is He. Lord Sabaoth, His name, from age to age the same, and He must win the battle. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear. Why? Because we get something so right? Because we're so faithful? Because we're so awesome? No. We will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. We tri uh, the prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word. The name of Christ shall fail. See, here's what happens to us. Here's what happens to me. Come along for the ride if you want to. This is what happens to me. I don't think I'm alone. I face some situation and I, and I, I fail and I fall into the devilish, hellish trap of thinking that the world actually has some kind of authority, some kind of power, some kind of final say about my life. And I freak out. And it doesn't. It doesn't. The world, with all the condemnation they want to bring with all the shame they may want to heap on us, with all the guilt they may say that we should carry. Guess what the world isn't? 
the author of life. So guess what they can't do? Take that from us, apart from God's perfect will. He has delivered us, and he will deliver us. It's what he does. We will either be delivered from these situations in this world according to his will, or we will be delivered from death in the resurrection according to Christ. And here's where we get to the good stuff. The reason we can say any of this is true is because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. The reason we can have hope, as Paul goes on to say, he has delivered us, he will deliver us, on him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. Here's why we are right to set our hope on Christ. Here's why we are right to hope in the resurrection power of God. Here's why we are right to hope and believe he has delivered us and he will deliver us, because the tomb of Jesus Christ is as empty as it can be. There is nobody there. As Paul tells us, we know where David was buried, and we can go see that. At least you could in his day. I don't know if that still holds. But Christ's tomb is empty. Why? Because he conquered death. He paid the price for your sin and mine, and he conquered death so that we who are in him, though we are profoundly affected by this world, this world has no power over us anymore. That's hard to believe sometimes, isn't it? That is hard to believe sometimes. When when we feel that despair of life itself, when we feel the sentence of death within us and we look out at the world and we lose our freaking minds because we think that it can all be taken away. He has delivered us from such deadly peril and he will deliver us again in this life according to his will or in the resurrection according to the finished work of Jesus Christ. He will deliver us. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what situation you're in that's bringing this despair of life itself. I don't know what you feel that feels like I've got the sentence of death. But I know maybe not this morning, but tomorrow morning, Yesterday morning, you'll feel that. And what's your hope? What's your hope? That you are a child of the God who raises the dead. That you are united by faith to Jesus Christ who rose again in victory over sin and death. That is your hope. And man, I know, sometimes it's hard to hold on to. And so Paul tells the Corinthians that he needs their help. You also, he says, must help us by prayer. He needs their help. He needs them lifting him up to God. 
God, show him grace. God, show her grace. God, strengthen them for what you've brought them to. God, deliver them again. Because you're the God who does that. He needs their help. We need each other to lift each other up in this way. It scares us to death to to, to admit that we need that. But we do. You also must help us by prayer. Lift us up to the living God. Remind Him that we need Him. It's not that God's forgotten. I know that. But this is what He calls us to. This is what it looks like to bear one another's burdens. It's to carry each other to the cross. Because we can't fix it. Guess what? If you're in some situation like Paul was, that, 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 that is beyond your own strength, it's beyond my strength too. If I'm in some situation that's beyond my strength, guess what? In, in all likelihood, it's beyond your strength also. So what do I need? I need you to say, hey, but here's Jesus. Here's the God we worship who raises the dead. Set your hope on him. Pray for us, help us, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Pray for us, lift us up to this gracious God who raises the dead so that everybody will give thanks that he was delivered once again. That they will give thanks that this is the kind of God that he has. He's a God who delivers. And he will deliver us again. And we can know that because the tomb is empty. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and for the hope of the gospel. We thank you that Paul is so willing to dispel the myth that somehow the faithful life looks like a lack of suffering or a lack of affliction or whatever, but instead reminds us that a faithful life looks like not relying on ourselves, but on you. And that you are the God who raises the dead. And that you will deliver us again. We thank you for these promises. We thank you for the resurrection. And we look forward to it. And we long for Christ to come and bring it soon. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Christ Church Conway podcast. We hope this teaching has helped you grow in the unity of faith and knowledge of the Son of God. Please feel free to share this resource so that others may also be strengthened in their faith through the study of Scripture and theology.